Hear the word from the Lord today. I invite you to stand as you're able. Our scripture comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 and following. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. He's not being nice there. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, we come to you today grateful for your word and your presence. Please give us an openness to what you might say to us because of your great faithfulness, because of your spirit that pursues us, because of your love for the world and for us. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two words that stand out to me from our passage today are the two words that are simply not willing. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to shelter you like a hen shelters her brood, but you were not willing. On the Mount of Olives, there is a small chapel that is shaped like a teardrop. It is the traditional place where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And even today, from the Mount of Olives on the eastern side of Jerusalem, you can see the whole panoramic landscape from this place where Jesus wept, where Jesus issues his lament. This is the traditional view. Somewhat different than it would have been in Jesus' day. The temple would have been present in the background, but very much the same geographically. Very much the same in how it appeared on the landscape. Jesus has a couple of unlikely allies here in this story. You may have noticed it. We don't often find the Pharisees that are trying to save Jesus' life. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. The Pharisees don't often get good press. We always hear about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and most of the time there are negative connotations to all of that. The Pharisees seldom get good press in the New Testament. But there are, of course, places where they do. 
In John's Gospel, for example, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus at night. He doesn't want people to see him parked in the parking lot where Jesus is staying. He comes at night under the cloak of darkness, but he really, really wants to know Jesus. He really wants to understand what it is that Jesus can teach him about life and life eternal. Nicodemus, a Pharisee that gets some good press. Luke also presents a a very positive portrayal of Gamaliel, who happens to be one of the mentors of St. Paul, who happens to have given us a large portion of the New Testament. Luke says in Acts chapter 5, a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. There's this argument going on about whether the followers of Jesus are worth listening to or not, or whether something needed to be done to them to stop them. And eventually, here is what Gamaliel says. He's listed out all of these other false messiahs. But he says in 38 and 39, so in this present case, with these apostles of Jesus, I tell you, keep away from these men. Leave them alone. Because if this plan or if this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case you may even be found fighting against God. And they were convinced by it. Jesus finds some unlikely allies here at the beginning of this passage, but he continues by reminding them that there is work to be done. He talks about what's to be done today and tomorrow, and then it is finished. And so there are days that are spoken of, today and tomorrow. These mean that Jesus' ministry is going to go on for some kind of indetermined amount of time, but not an especially long period. Today and tomorrow I, I, I work and then I finish my work. It's the same sense of completion that he speaks about from the cross. It is, it is finished. This self-giving of Jesus, he finishes at the cross in Jerusalem. This death of Jesus where the blood and the water flow from his side, he finishes at Jerusalem. This work of resurrection after he is dead and God raises him to life again, this occurs in Jerusalem as he finishes his work. And then there's the ascension of Jesus where the disciples are looking up and the angels say, why is it that you are looking up? This Jesus whom you see now go into heaven will return again today and tomorrow I finish my work. Some people see this as stages in Jesus' life. There's the today. I mean, the healing and the exorcism and the miracles and the, the teaching stage today. And then there's the tomorrow phase, which is the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus knows that he's headed to Jerusalem. It's not people that are taking him to Jerusalem against his will. In fact, when Peter says to him, Lord, no, you can't let this happen, Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. The end of the road is Jerusalem. 
And so, some say today, the healing and performing miracles of Jesus, the teaching, and then there is tomorrow, the journey to Jerusalem, and then there is the end, the self-giving of Jesus in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the place to which Jesus is headed. He stands on the Mount of Olives and he sees this this city. I imagine the city was pretty much the same color. There's a kind of a brown. If you go to Jordan or to Israel, it's a good thing if you like the color brown. There's a lot of brown buildings, a lot of brown mountains. There are a lot of brown things everywhere. The image of Jerusalem, this panoramic scene to scene, left to right as far as you can see, and on and on and on goes the city. It's an important city. It was first occupied about 4,000 B.C. It's about 6,000 years ago Jerusalem was populated by people. By the time that King David came in and made Jerusalem the capital of Judah. It was already 3,000 years old. And since the time of David, it has been seen as the political and religious capital of Judah that has been back and forth through Christian history by uh, different groups of people in charge. And yet, even today... There is an electricity about it. There is this intensity about it. There is even a psychological syndrome, Jerusalem syndrome, where perfectly normal people go to Jerusalem and suddenly something happens. I went to Jerusalem one time with someone that something happened to. The doctors were looking for Jerusalem syndrome. Is she a particularly religious person, they said? Well, she came to Jerusalem, so she's, she's somewhat religious, but uh, no, she doesn't have Jerusalem syndrome. So for thousands of years now, this, this spot, this geographical spot, has had an electrical kind of energy to it. And it's a city in which and for which God has done so much. From the kingdom of David to the prophets coming to speak to the king, to the prophets coming and talking about the city and its faithfulness or lack thereof to God, and yet the city has this reputation for bringing the demise of prophets and the demise of messengers from God. And so Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. I love that image. The gathering of the people of God under the Lord's wings like a hen gathers her brood. There's a particular intimacy here. There's a particular protectiveness here. 
There is a compassion and a love and, and a willingness to give of oneself to protect another. It's a beautiful image that Jesus uses, but it's not an image that Jesus creates all on His own. It's an image that goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. God sustained Israel in a desert land, in a howling wilderness waste. He shielded him, cared for him, guarded him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young as it spreads its wings. It's an image that's found in Psalms. Guard me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. It's an image that the writer of Psalm 36 uses as well. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Even in the Old Testament, we think of the Old Testament as being written to Israel, but we find out in the Old Testament that, that God is inviting those from all over the world, all people finding shadow, shelter underneath the wings of the Lord. And what better can you say about Ruth? May the Lord reward you for your deeds and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. This image of the wings being spread out, this image of the brood being caught up underneath it, this image of Jerusalem being unwilling to receive the guidance and the love of God in Jesus Christ. God is always willing to work in the lives of His willing people. God is always willing to work in the lives of His willing people. Are you willing? If you will open the door, God will come in with such force and such grace that you will be overwhelmed by His kindness. If there are a thousand steps between you and God, God will take 999 steps to come toward you. Are you willing to let God do His work in your life? Are you willing to, as Karen said, to understand the personal relationship that relationship of love and compassion and care that God offers to you. What would God do in the lives of His people if only they were willing? If only we said, Lord, here I am. That's what Isaiah said as the burning coal touched his lips. Here I am, send me. What would, what would God do in the lives of His people if we were like the disciples who, when He said, Come, follow me, got up and followed. What would God do in the life of His church? If only we were willing, if 
only we knew and, and were steeped in the teachings of Jesus, if only we felt the Lord accompany us from the moment that we wake in the morning until our day is done, what would the Lord do in the life of His church if we discovered that we live not by the flesh but by the Spirit? And how would God change the world if only the world was willing? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And yet, you were not willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to embrace the friendship of God? I call you no longer servants, but you are friends. Are you willing to join the family of God that cries out, Our Father who art in heaven? Are you willing to represent the power and peace and love of God in your family, in the places where you work, in your neighborhood? Are you willing to find shelter underneath the wings of the Lord who lamented and wept over Jerusalem. May He not lament and weep over us. We who, with earnest willingness, with begrudging willingness, I can see it in you today. You missed that hour of sleep last night. Some of you are having some heavy eyelids, but you're willing. You're willing to be here. I was reading last night, and I'm reading on my Kindle paper white, because it's almost like paper, not quite like paper, but it's got a clock up there. My paper doesn't have that. And it was midnight. I'm like, oh, it's time to go to bed. Oh, no, it's one. Some of you, I can see it in your eyes. You had a similar experience. But are you willing to let God do in you what God desires to do in you? The thief comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have life abundantly. Are you willing? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.